So once again, we come to Psalm 71. And uh, before I read this uh, prayer of the old man, uh, let me just express uh, a thought or two about this psalm. I can still remember in my personal devotions, holding on to this psalm, getting a grip on this psalm, back in the fall of 1975. I was just uh, beginning my first year in my seminary training, and uh, this particular psalm just really caught my attention because it was clearly the prayer of an old man. And uh, the little that I knew about it, but what I could find out about it indicated that Quite possibly, this was King David in his old age. Others had even stronger reasons for believing this was uh, Jeremiah, uh, a prayer of his. Uh, the references to being taken from his mother's womb, uh, someone who had leaned upon the Lord all the days of his life, uh, particularly reflected the calling that God gave to Jeremiah that you can read about in the early part of uh, the prophet of Jeremiah. In, in any case... What gripped my attention then and what has held my attention through all of these years is the psalm that describes the life in retrospect of an old man who's found God to be faithful. There's not a day goes by that we are not getting older. <laughs> And I would encourage us to think often about this psalm as uh, a sure and certain guide uh, to that process uh, from which we began life in this world until those final days when the Lord will call us home. So reading them, Psalm 71. And you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You've given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O oh Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually. And will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past knowledge. 
With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness and yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who are to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Let's pray. Lord God, and in particular, O Holy Spirit of the living God, illuminate our hearts and minds to understand these words. Now keep us in the way everlasting in accordance with Jesus Christ. Build us up in our most precious faith. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you can see from the worship notes that you have this morning, that this is the, the last of the messages that are uh, pertaining to Psalm 71. Uh, that psalm and this message series I've titled Long Life, Faithful God. And today is part four, the God-centered life. And the outline shows what we've covered so far. Uh, we began with looking how the psalmist describes the God who is there, in particular, the God who listens to the old man as he prays. And then we went on to consider, verses 5 through 8, the believing life. And in particular, how the believing life is the dependent life. The life that leans upon the God who leans upon no one else. Thirdly, we looked at how that believing life must also be the persevering life. Because of the challenges because of the difficulties, because of the obstacles. Finding in the believers, the old man's life and testimony, the truth of Scripture, that it's God who is at work within us to will and to do his good pleasure. And then coming now to the conclusion, the God-centered life, as we look particularly at verses 19 through 24. And from those verses embedded as they are in the whole psalm, today's theme can be stated this way. Because God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, the grace of God creates in us a God-centered life. Now, as the overview of today's message, we can essentially say this in terms of breaking it down into three parts. In the God-centered life, the trajectory of the believer's life travels through trials. And in the God-centered life, the purpose of the believer's life fosters the increase of faith and trust. 
And in the God-centered life, the goal of the believer's life terminates on supreme delight in God. And so putting these ideas together, we can say this. The grace of God in a believer's life has a trajectory and a purpose and a goal that arrives at a God-centered life. So first of all, considering the trajectory, uh, which we can see in verse 20. Uh, there the old man says, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities. Now, there are several aspects to that phrase that I want us to take note of. First, recognize this, that the, that the old man, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, credits God himself with the trials that he has experienced in his life. It is God who has made him see many troubles and calamities, or I like the way the NIV uh, translate this, see many, see troubles, many and bitter. Clearly, the old man is not speaking of what God is showing him from a distance. You know, something like we might see on television or through the internet, other parts of the country, other parts of the world, troubles that are out there. Uh, and he's not referring to anything that God has uh, presented to him and displayed and shown to him as though he were a bystander or a spectator. He's not referring in any sense to the calamity of others. He's speaking, rather, about what he himself has experienced, of what has happened to him. He has seen many personal troubles, and they have been bitter and severely distressing. Now, I want you to think about this, and I want you to compare it with respect to your own lives. The old man has experienced many troubles in his life. Now, this is not the Christian life I was promised as a young Christian. My first organized Christian training early in my college days began with this, with this particular teaching. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that teaching was supported by this statement of Jesus himself from John chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so I began my committed and serious walk with Christ with, with this idea that Jesus was going to give me this wonderful life, this abundant life, and it would only ever be the devil who would try to keep this from happening. All good things would come from Christ and all bad things would come from the devil. This was seriously bad teaching and in consequences very damaging to myself and others who learned, sadly, the gospel this way. Because... And this teaching that was presented to us, the nature of the abundant life and the nature of the wonderful plan that God has for us was never actually developed biblically. We were never taught that Jesus who spoke about the abundant life also spoke this way, John 15, 33. 
in the world you will have tribulation. These ideas were never adequately, biblically, rightly put together. And there's a direct application then to all of us who have been, in some sense, nurtured in the American evangelical traditions that have been, to various degrees, infected by this kind of teaching. Do we, and have we ever seen, the gospel as, in some sense, promising us the American dream of the good life? Uh, do we see, do we accept that the trajectory of our lives as believers will travel through trials and calamities, many and bitter. Because the truth is, we can never grow into spiritual maturity unless we embrace this truth. The trajectory of our lives as believers travels through troublesome, and distressing trials. Now, now part of this that the old man is proclaiming here is that God is himself the author of the tribulations that we face as believers. The old man credits God with these many calamities that he has experienced in his life. Yet, it's important that we notice and understand that he puts this in the context of a very, very big picture of God. Uh, look at the text. Look at verses 19, 20, and 21. And, and I want you to notice how several ideas here are intertwined and related together. Uh, picture, if you will, like a sandwich, which has two sides, and then what is in the middle. Verse, nine, verse 19 would give us the first side. There, the old man speaks of the righteousness of God that reaches to the heavens. He speaks of the God who has done very great things. The God who is incomparable. Who is like you? Then in the middle, he then declares that you are the God who has shown me many troubles and distresses. The first half of verse 20. And then the other side of this sandwich kind of picture is the second half of verse 20. Uh, the God who will revive him again, the God who gives him life again, the God who will bring him up from the depths of the earth, so he passes from death to resurrection, who will then increase his greatness and restore comfort to him, which is ultimately the true abundant life of life everlasting in glory with God. Now, the New Testament weaves together these three ideas, uh, principally from what the Apostle Paul has to say. They illustrate what the old man statements intend. So let me just point these out to you. Ephesians 1.11, where the Apostle Paul speaks of the God who works out everything according to the counsel of his own will, the God who is the author of the old man's calamities, and yours and mine. And then think about Romans 8:28 where the apostle Paul speaks about the God and speaks about God in this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, 
um, even though God causes and is the author of and has shown to the old man all of these troubles and distresses and calamities in life, nevertheless, God himself causes all of these things to work together for the believer's highest good. And then think about Romans 8.18, where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All of the many troubles and distresses that God has shown the old man are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. And that is why in the face of all of these calamities and troubles and hardships and so forth, the old man still celebrates the righteousness of God. In this old man's life, the trajectory of trouble of which God is the author leads him to a more God-centered life. And here's why. When the trajectory is one of trials, we must depend more deeply upon God. Such trials grow our utter dependence upon God. And that is how they work into the purpose of the believer's life. The purpose of the believer's life is to foster the increase of faith and trust as we grow in our dependency on God's faithfulness. Now, this theme shows up in verse 22, where the old man praises God for his faithfulness. But we've also seen this earlier, back in verses 5 and 6. Let me read those again. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. The old man sees so clearly that, that God has grown his life into one of faith and trust by, by causing him to lean upon God, by, by causing this dependency through all of these distresses and trials and troubles. Because it's only in the experience of depending on God that we find and experience God's faithfulness. And in finding God's faithfulness, praise God because of his faithfulness. It is only when we are dependent upon God that our faith and trust grow. And that is why the trajectory of troubles, many and bitter, are such a vital part of the believer's growth into a God-centered Christian. I illustrate this by way of an analogy. I want you to think about child-rearing. And I want to think about the common uh, experience of the playground slide. Uh, it's normal for youngsters, little little ones, you know, two and three year olds, when they first come to the playground uh, under their parents' guidance and accompaniment and all of that. It's normal for them to see all of these children doing the playground slide thing, and yet for they themselves to be reticent, uh, even even controlled by fear. It's not something they really want to do. And so a good parent will see this and watch and wait 
until you know he or she believes that the child is ready. And then, in a proper way, uh, the parent will take that child into that experience. Now, imagine if, for some reason, the parent were told by child-raising experts something like this. Look, parents, the child's fear is always the rule for how you must raise your child. So, if you come to the playground and you see that the slide scares the child, you say to your child, the slide scares you? Uh, you never have to do the slide. Uh, the big bed scares you? Uh, you never have to leave the crib. The rain and thunder scares you? Uh, you never have to sleep alone. The bicycle scares you? You can always ride a tricycle. Uh, the swimming pool scares you? You can always wear floaties. You don't have to learn to swim. Uh, these other children scare you? Uh, you don't have to have friends. You can stay home and watch television. Uh, do you see what such a child would become? Uh, ruled by fear and crippled with respect to most of the good things that life has to offer, never developing into what he or she is capable of being and doing. And the worst thing along the way would be that such a child would never learn to trust the wisdom and greater experience of a loving and caring parent. And I want you to take that perspective and think about our lives as Christians. We face many troubles, many difficulties that cause us to fear because this world is a fearful place. And when we trust in ourselves, in the face of the fears that we face, we in fact limit our lives so deeply by that fear. When in the face of that fear, we lean upon our own understanding and therefore the limitations of our experience of the world, we wind up spiritually compromising and crippling ourselves. But in the face of these trials and distresses and troubles, when we trust God with our whole hearts, when we lean not on our own understanding, but we lean upon God, when God is our hope and our trust, then we experience his strength, his presence, his grace. We experience more of his great presence and reality in our lives. The trajectory of our lives must travel through trials, many trials. There is such a great purpose for this in our lives because we have to lean so heavily upon God in those times. And that is when our faith and trust in God's faithfulness actually grows. And thereby we grow 
and our knowledge of God. And there is no greater benefit, no greater blessing than we can ever experience than to know the powerful reality of God in our lives. And remember, this brings glory to God. When God is our refuge and our strength, when he is that very present help in times of trouble, when we live this way, our lives point to the reality of God. Like the old man, we become that marvel, important, and wonder to many because God is our strong refuge. And then lastly, as we come to the end of the psalm, we see that the concluding theme upon which the psalmist concludes what he has written, the concluding theme of this this old man's testimony here is this strong and great sense of joy. Verses 22 to 24, where he says, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. And here we get the sense of this old man's supreme delight in God which is why we can see that the goal of the believer's life terminates on a supreme delight in God. God has sought you through the person and work of his Son to save you and to set you apart for this chief end, this greatest of all goals, that you would glorify God and enjoy him now and forevermore. I used to think that all of the troubles and difficulties I faced as a Christian and as a pastor interfered with my relationship with Christ. Uh, Now, for our brothers and sisters who have battled cancer, you'll see that what I'm talking about here in my own life is really trivial. I once had nine weeks of strep throat, fever, physical weakness, sinus infection, that series upon series of antibiotics just simply would not stop. And I suffered weight loss, debilitated from being able to work and to preach. And when the nine weeks were up, they still put me on a regimen of about six more months of antibiotics. At the time, I honestly felt that this whole experience was an impediment to my walk with Christ. I needed to get well, I thought, so I could keep growing in Christ. Looking back now, it all seems so silly and immature. But such a season was a trial that God presented to me to lean more deeply on him not to complain, but to lean more deeply upon him, to grow in faith and trust in him. 
to be able to experience his faithfulness in all things. And because I missed the purpose of that season in my life, God has been faithful to show me more troubles and trials and distresses, more calamities that he might revive me and prove to me again and again that he is my very present help in times of trouble. And so keep the old man's prayer close by. He teaches us the reality of the God who is truly there, who truly listens. And he teaches us the right understanding of the believer's life, which is the dependent life, which is a persevering life, which is a God-centered life. So let it be said, when we die, that we have learned to live in genuine dependence upon God. We have learned to trust him completely for his faithfulness and righteousness. We have become those who gladly and faithfully rejoice in the God of our salvation. Because the God who began a good work in us, in Christ Jesus, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Amen. Our God and Father, we do pray for your word to accomplish in us all of the reasons for why you have caused it to be written and caused it to be sent forth, that we might find more and more your grace working in us, all of those things that will make us centered in Christ all the days of our lives, and even for eternity forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.